Conus T, how are ye? Welcome back to the Candlelit Tales podcast, where we tell stories from Irish mythology and folklore and chat about them afterwards. In this series, we're looking at the classics of Irish mythology, telling them and retelling them. If you don't know a lot about Irish myths, you might know these. And if you are just starting out, this could be a good place for that. This is part two of the story of Deirdre and the Sons of Ishnok, a very tragic tale of forbidden love and exile. This podcast is brought to you by our supporters at Patreon. You can join them over at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales, or you can make a one-time donation using the PayPal button on our website. Like, share, comment, and above all, enjoy. And for now, Aaron, tell us a story. She woke and she knew this was a terrible omen. And when Nisha, Anla and Ordon heard a great voice calling across the hills of Alban, they said, that is the voice of an Irishman. And with Deirdre begged Nisha not to listen. She said, Irishmen and Scottishmen, they sound very similar. Don't, don't listen to that. But once more, a booming call came. They recognised it as an, a man from Ulster. And still Deirdre begged them not to listen to this voice coming from the hill. It was just the wind and the Scottish men and the northern men. They were very similar in lots of ways. And still this voice boomed across. Sons of Ishnak, where are ye? That's the voice. That's the voice of Fergus MacRoy, cried Nisha, leaping to his feet. Every inch of homesickness that he'd been squashed and pushed down and ignored for so many years was coming to the fore now and he needed so badly to go back to his homeland and to meet Fergus MacRoy. As they went over the hills they saw Fergus striding towards them as tall and wide as a great oak tree stands firm in a forest his huge sword Leocon hanging from his side. A great smile on his lips, arms open wide, he embraced all of the three sons of Ishnak in one giant hug then. He told them his story. He had been sent by Crohor to bring them back. The rest of the Crave Rua wanted them back. Their strength was missed. Their solidarity, their friendship and their love was missed in the land of Ireland. And he didn't care about Deirdre after all these many years. Sure, there had been attempts of trickery, and sure, there had been some bad feelings, but now, Fergus said, he gave his word that if the sons of Ishnak and Deirdre came to Aonmaka, under his protection, they would be safe. And so, although Deirdre tried to explain her dream the bad omen to Nisha, he wouldn't listen. Once Fergus gave him that reassurance, they boarded a boat on crashing waves with a darkening sky. She still tried to beg them not to go. A dark omen lies heavy over my head, she said. They went across the sea and landed in Ireland until the three brothers leapt out so eager to be back home in Ireland and they went running off into the forests to see and sense its difference. 
and such it was that they were back in their own home province. But it wasn't long until a man came, a messenger. He invited Fergus to a feast held in his honour and he had a sickly way of speaking, dark circles around his eyes and Deirdre did not like his presence. But Fergus looked at the sons of Ishna confused and he said that it would be difficult for him to refuse this invitation. He had a gesh upon him a sacred oath, a promise that he could not break. Any feast held in his honour he would have to go to if invited. But they had not made the voyage alone. There was, of course, a whole crew with them and his own sons. So he reassured the sons of Ishnak, Nisha, Anla and Ordan, that his own sons, Rough Red Bunya and Fair-Haired Ilan, would take his place to guard them with his honour and as soon as the feast was over, he would, of course, come back to Awan Maka and greet them before very long had passed. Nisha was satisfied with this, Anla Ardon eager to get back and to see their friends in the Kraverua. Deirdre was furious. She called after Fergus that he had broken his word to them already. Nisha rebuked her, telling her not to be so hard on the man who was avoiding breaking a gesh. Well, when they travelled further down and came around the corner and saw Awan Maka, Nisha, Anla and Ardon were only so delighted to be back home. Deirdre had seen it now for the first time, saw a dark and heavy cloud above it. And since they were coming from the east, they were looking west, the sun setting behind it, the light in the sky was red, and the colour of that dark cloud was so red it reminded Deirdre of the blood that was shed in that dream. The raven who had swooped down and flown across to Ireland seemed to be hovering above that cloud in Aonmaka now, dripping the blood of her beloved there and then, she begged them to stop. But once more Nisha reassured her that nothing would happen. They were under the protection of Fergus's sons, fair-haired Ilan and rough-red Boynia. Nothing could go wrong. But she had heard the stories, and she knew much more about Owen Maka than most did, even though she had never been there. She said, Okay, but if we're allowed into Crohor's own home, I might be easy. If we're led into the speckled house, this is a bad omen. I can tell you that, for I know it for sure. The speckled house, where all of the heads of the enemies are stuck and struck into the walls, so the whole facade in front of the great house is speckled with the blood of its enemies if we're in that house we'll surely be led to doom Nisha listened he had never seen Deirdre this irate but he was determined to carry on and he reassured her once more she was just fretting the worries of a woman and so they met Lowercombe 
who was only delighted to see them coming, and she welcomed Deirdre with open arms, and for the first time Deirdre was happy to see someone that she recognised, something that sensed like home, and not this foreboding doom that she felt in every inch of her being. But Lowercombe told her as they walked along the roads, in amongst the houses and homes, and the great fort of Onmaka lay in front, she steered them to the speckled house. They opened the door and her heart fell as if to the floor. Even Nisha now was worried, Anla and Ordon taking up their place beside the fire. They began to sharpen their weapons, for they saw no great welcome there for them. There was none of the Crave Rua even around. It seemed strange. Deirdre and Nisha sat down. They decided to play a game of Fitchel to pass the time. Now, Lowercombe went back to Crohor McNassa, who was sitting next to an open hearth, brooding, thinking, plotting. You see, he had gotten rid of most of the Crave Rua, told them to not be in Awanmaka this night. He had set up, of course, the feast held in Fergus's honour. He had played a good card to get Deirdre here this way. He had gone to Fergus McRoy and asked him if he would do this for him to go to Hild Alban to bring them down. And he had promised he would not kill the sons of Ishnuk. And he would not. However, he had invited mercenaries from Munster, including... Manya Roughhand, whose father had been killed by Nisha in battle long ago. And even, he thought, he could keep his word. If Manya killed them, he hadn't really killed them. He still wanted vengeance for them stealing Deirdre away, the beautiful woman that she was. But he wasn't sure. He was torn. He was in this dilemma as Lowercombe came up and talked to him. He asked her straight, What is she like? Is she as beautiful as they say? Tell me. No, she replied. She has aged badly. Given birth twice, and the rough weather in the north of High-Hilled Alban must have been coarse for her skin. She has lost much of her beauty now, her eyes not meeting the gaze of Grohor who seemed to calm instantly once he heard this. He pontificated and thought perhaps that this was maybe an overreaction that he had had. He sent her away, kind of glad now for this day, eager perhaps to reintroduce the sons of Ishnuk back into the Crave Rua. After all, he could do with their might back in the service of the Crave Rua because... No one knew the curse of Maka, the story of his most foolish choices as a young king. Every choice since then has always been to disguise and keep everyone from knowing the terrible curse the men of Ulster were under. And so they still raided and they still showed a great force of strength against their borders so no one would ever come against them. As long as that was maintained, no one would be foolish enough to ever attack Ulster. 
because if they did, the curse would destroy them all. With heavy bags under his eyes, he began to think once more of Laurakum and her lies, how she had spoken to him, not met his gaze. How beautiful was Deirdre after all? He sent a messenger then, Trendern, a trusted man, down to the speckled house to spy in on Deirdre and the sons of Ishna. Well, Trendren went down towards the speckled house then, and sure enough, after the sun had set and that twilight light had faded to the navy dark hue of the deepening, darkening night, he could see the light bright shine from the window. As he crept his head, peering in, he saw Nisha, Anla, and Ordon. But Nisha's back was to him, and he peered, moving around to get a better gaze as who he was playing Fitchel against, and he was stunned by the woman who was sitting opposite him. So radiant was her beauty, so brilliant her curves, so longing he did for a beautiful lips that, well, a rosy colour came to her face to feel such a gaze of lust upon her. Nisha knew exactly what this was. After all, he'd learnt his lesson in Scotland. The piece of Fitchel that was in his hand was thrown over his shoulder and struck Trendron in his eye. He screamed and ran back to the king. But he reported what he had seen, almost with a grin. He said, I'd nearly lose my other eye just to get one more chance to look at her. She's beyond compare. Well, all of the anger that had been bottled up inside came rushing out then, for Crohor felt everything. Anger bubbled and boiled within him. He gave the order for all of the merchants from Munster to swarm around the speckled house and to kill Nisha, Anla and Ardon, but to leave Deirdre alive. Well, when they heard such a clattering of weapons come into their door, Anla and Ardon were already ready. They'd been sharpening their blades while they sat by the fire, waiting for just this. Deirdre had been right all along. Fair-haired Illin and rough-red Boynia, Fergus's two sons, while they went out the door, closing it behind them, and meeting the army, and fighting furiously to stay against this great army, many of the mercenaries, many of them the Crave Rua, and some of them confused to be fighting, but they both fought fiercely and they kept them back, for a while at least. But they could not, against the oncoming onslaught, both mixed of Crave Rua and mercenary fighters, they could not keep them back. Fair-haired Illin fought furiously and died, but rough Red Boynia, on the offer from Crohor to be given lands and titles, he switched sides, breaking the promise he had given to his father. Now the noise outside, the speckled house was furious. Nisha, Anla and Ardon, inside with Deirdre, knew they had to move. 
And so when they opened the door and saw an army coming towards them, they placed Deirdre inside the centre as they stood shoulder to shoulder, protecting her and fighting furiously into the centre. And they cut waves of men that came towards them then. They chopped and parried, blew back and straight through, swiveling around. They were destroying so many men, a huge pile of bodies was piling up. As they trampled on bodies, they cut and slayed, covered in blood, slashing and cutting and gouging and chopping, moving as one, almost one entity, one mind. If a cross or a blow came for one or the other, the other caught that clash with their steel, and the other drove their sword through the oncoming arm or leg or eye, and nobody could get within an inch of the sons of Ishnak. As fierce as lions they fought, with Deirdre in the centre, their beautiful woman to protect, they fought furiously. Krahor was watching. Kafa was by his side. He asked him, could he bring an end to this bloodshed? But Kafa said, only if you promise you'll not kill the sons of Ishnak. Once more with this lie prepared well on his lips, Krahor agreed that he would not kill the sons of Ishnak. And so Kafa drew up a spell and he threw it towards the sons of Ishnak, so that they felt as if they were in water and they were floating and nearly drowning so they had to drop their weapons and their shields and in the air as they rose up despair came down on Deirdre as she fell down to the ground looking hopelessly up at the sons of Ishnak, who fell in a heap once Kafa's hand was released surrounded then by those mercenaries pointing their blades down, many of them mixed in with the Crave Rua, who had been straggling and coming back, many now confused, following orders and fighting alongside these monster men, fighting as they had been told to by their king, honour-bound and duty-stricken. More and more of the Crave Rua were coming after all, they heard the sounds of battle, until nearly all of them were gathered to watch the sons of Ishnak lie helpless. They all looked at their king with Deirdre standing there, terrified and beautiful. Every one of them could agree that her beauty was not to be compared with anyone. But their hearts were in their chest to see their brothers in arms lie there so helpless, and Krahor Magnassa looked then to Manya Roughhand. He handed him a sword and said, Kill them. And so he walked forward, eager to take vengeance on the men who had killed his own father in a battle gone by. But when he asked them which one wanted to be killed first, Anla said he would go, but Ardon said no, he wouldn't live a moment without his brothers until Nisha said if any one of them had to go before the other, it would be too hard. 
so let you kill us all in one blow. And he handed him his sword that he had been gifted, a great sword from Mananon MacLear. So great it was that easily three heads would roll with one simple blow. They laid their heads on a block, three necks stretched out, and Deirdre's heart in her mouth. She watched time slow down, and then quickly thicken with red blood, the blood she had seen in her dream, now soaking in the ground, all around the lifeless body of her lover and his brothers. Her heart was too broken to feel anything. The next moments washed into the next days, weeks and months all a haze. She knew nothing but sorrow, moved around she attempted not to eat, even still Lorcan attempted to feed her, but she barely moved. And still in her confused days, Crohor attempted to win her over, offering gifts. She hated him, and she tried to make this very clear, but he was arrogant. And after a year, he asked, Was there anyone you hate more than me in all of Ireland? Huh? Anyone at all? Who can you think of that would treat you worse than the way I'm treating you in the house of a king in Awanmaka? She thought of one person. Manya Roughhand, she said. I hate him a bit more than you. Huh? Okay. I'll arrange for Manya to come up so he can uh, take you away for a year. See how the rough hand of him treats you. Maybe you'd be a little bit happier to see me after that. When she thought of the time that she would have to spend with this man, her hand simply went down. And out of her skirt she drew a knife that no one had seen her gather after they had attempted to feed her. Wasn't the sharpest, but she sharpened it just enough. She placed it on her breast, and she plunged the knife into her broken heart to stop it beating. Pain, she felt, was somehow relieving, she thought. Maybe she might see Nisha with his dark hair, rosy cheeks, his white skin, beyond the veil. In the many moons that passed, well, many things did happen. Fergus McRoy had taken hold of half of the Crave Rua. He had fought furiously the night the sons of Ishnik had been found dead when he came back to see his own sons die. Well, half of them had gone down to Connacht, fulfilling Kaffa's prophecy that the Crave Rua would be ripped in two, all for Deirdre. When they were buried, 
Lowercombe it was, made sure they were buried together. Well, next to each other at least. Crowhor's anger even at this, even though half of the Craverua was now after leaving him, he still begrudged Nisha and Deirdre's love for each other. He took two willow poles and drove them down as if to break their hearts once more apart. But in doing so, little did he know that in the many years that followed, as his kingship became tatters, and the brown bull of Cooley was driven off, the boy's troop killed. His one great hero, Cucullin, even he couldn't look him in the eye. All those years went by, and those two willow branches, they grew. Their roots intertwined as if to sink in and absorb the source of Nisha and Deirdre, and as branches grew, these two beautiful trees entwined, their leaves growing around each other, as if to caress the skin of each other's lovers, those hands that had once held on so firmly together against every obstacle, against everything in the wildness now two willow trees were left in the wild places of Ulster. And after so much had been lost, this at least had been gained. All for the love of Deirdre. <laughs>